You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of NCBA's Beltway Beef podcast. I'm Hunter Ehrman, and today we're talking bears, but not just any bears, grizzly bears and the Biden administration plan to introduce these grizzly bears to Washington state. Joining us for an update now is Sigrid Johannes, director of the Public Lands Council and NCBA Government Affairs. Sigrid, what's the background on this Biden administration plan to introduce grizzly bears to Washington state? So grizzly bears are a federally protected species under the Endangered Species Act. They are listed as endangered. And there are several recovery zones throughout the country that the Fish and Wildlife Service has identified as ecosystems where they want to, you know, can conserve and really encourage bear population growth. You see those in the Selkirk, which is in Idaho and, and a section of Washington, a sliver of Washington state. You see that in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem around Wyoming and Montana and a couple other spots like that. the One of those recovery zones is the North Cascades ecosystem. It's uh, located in sort of north central Washington state. Uh, and this is an area that hasn't had any grizzly bears in it since 1996. It's not like this is an area where we've, you know, always seen a really robust population and we're trying to protect that. There are, in fact, no bears there today. What Fish and Wildlife is proposing is to change that. They want to introduce a Uh, 10J population, what we call non-essential experimental population of grizzly bears by basically transplanting bears from other areas into Washington. And then they want to see that population grow and, and, you know, take root there in Washington state. Obviously that poses a lot of concerns for producers. And so we are, we are uh, opposing this rulemaking. What are NCBA's concerns with this grizzly bear plan? You know, there's a variety of concerns. I think that you can kind of bucket them into some different groups. Number one would be this is not a very sensible way to go about conserving the species. I don't we do not believe that it is going to achieve the goals that Fish and Wildlife has set out here. For one thing, you're going to have bears that have no genetic diversity and are not are not adding to the genetic diversity and sort of hybrid vigor, so to speak, of the grizzly bear population in the lower 48 states. All of these bears are going to have to be brought from other areas to the GYE, uh, excuse me, to the NCE. And the North Cascades ecosystem is not sufficiently isolated from the Selkirk to ensure that those bears are never going to come into contact. So you're going to have a situation where you've got some inbreeding, you've got some some issues with that population, and it's not going to contribute to the to the resiliency and the diversity of the species overall. The other issue that I think you see is the economic harm to producers, and that is obviously the primary concern for us. It's kind of a a flawed rule from a conservation standpoint, but it is certainly a flawed rule from a producer standpoint. Uh, Grizzly bears are an apex predator. They are omnivorous. They eat both plant matter and uh, prey. And this is another situation where the Biden administration is taking a very very lethal and a very uh, difficult to manage predator species and plopping it in the backyard of communities in rural areas against their will, against their their consistent and loud opposition to this idea. And so for grizzly bears specifically, that can look like a couple different impacts on producers. There's depredation, obviously. You get bears killing and consuming livestock. 
There's also the safety threat to producers. And I think, you know, speaking from the Public Lands Council side, this is something that you really can't discount. Bears tend to, grizzly bears tend to hibernate at higher elevations. They go into their dens and then they emerge uh, typically between March and May, which is exactly the time when public lands grazing permittees are turning out cattle onto their allotments. You're going to have the bears in the at their most aggressive you know, point in the year coming out in the same areas where you have your permittees wandering up there and, and, and trailing their cattle uh, to their summer grazing allotments. So you can see the very obvious risk there to people, to families who are living in these communities and to livestock. And I think it's also worth noting, which this proposed rule does a really poor job of reflecting, that the financial stress that comes from the presence of a predator is not just the kill itself. It's also the stress of having them around. Uh, cattle are slower to gain weight. They have more trouble with pregnancy. Uh, they might change their grazing sort of dispersal, their distribution on your grazing allotment or on your, your home pasture. And so there's all of these other effects that add up to difficulties in the operation, lost revenue and risk to the producer. You know, grizzlies are very different from the other types of species you regularly deal with. What specifically makes grizzlies particularly dangerous compared to other predators? You know, that's a great question. Uh, Grizz grizzly bears are big, and that sounds stupid, uh, you know, to say kind of without any context, or it sounds obvious, I guess, without any context. But I don't think we can forget to make that point, because there's a lot of people sitting in various fish and wildlife offices around the country, particularly in Washington, D.C., who have never been uh, in close proximity with a bear and have perhaps lost sight a little bit of what that experience is like. These are really massive animals. They are massive. They are physically dangerous. They're physically imposing. Uh, and again, they're, they're omnivorous. They're going to eat what they can find. And they also travel long distances. I think that's something that's worth noting here as well. We saw this attitude with fish and wildlife, uh, particularly with the gray wolf, where there was this since I'm, I'm thinking of Colorado and their 10J population as an example, uh, oh, well, if we drop them here, they'll stay there. If we have wolves that are collared in North Park, they're never going to leave North Park. Well, we know that that isn't how predators work. That's not how these animals work. They travel hundreds of miles in some cases for better habitat, for prey, food, you know, etc. So with the bears, I think the big concern is not just how difficult and dangerous they are to manage um, and how aggressive they can be, but also the fact that just because you say, well, we're introducing them in the North Cascades doesn't mean that they're going to stay in that mountain range. They could go, they could go any number of places in Washington state that puts them in much closer proximity to producers. An important element of this is local communication between rural communities and federal agencies. What opportunities are out there for public comment on this issue? So there was a series of public meetings last week that Fish and Wildlife held. Uh, that would be the first week of November held in uh, Washington State to hear from folks on the ground. I think we have mixed feelings, frankly, about those, because on the one hand, we're never going to turn down an opportunity to, to, to speak on the issues and to give that feedback to the agency. But on the other hand, it's a little bit disingenuous because local producers and rural communities on the ground in Washington, in this part of the state, have been speaking up on this proposed idea 
for years at this point. There has been years of grassroots opposition to the idea of reintroducing bears in the Cascades. And you've seen that reflected in the priorities of their legislators. Folks like Dan Newhouse, who's the chair of the Congressional Western Caucus, have been incredibly outspoken and have showed a tremendous amount of leadership in opposing this idea over the years, just over and over again. And so, you know, we're pleased to, to show up and participate in those meetings. We've been having a strong dialogue with Fish and Wildlife, our, our state affiliate, Washington Cattlemen's has been highly involved there. But at the same time, it's not like anybody is in doubt as to where our producers stand. So with this comment period, which is open until uh, just about the beginning of next week here on the 13th, we are focusing in our comments on providing the, the most robust and the most comprehensive arguments we can against this reintroduction. We are also, that's sort of plan A. Plan B is also providing a lot of suggestions in those comments on how if Fish and Wildlife decides to plow ahead with this, how can they do it better? And how can they provide more flexibility to producers so that they can protect themselves and protect their livestock? You know, I'm glad you mentioned history because I understand that this Biden administration plan is not new and previous administrations have tried to implement something similar. What is the history of this issue? Sure thing. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. The The reintroduction in this particular part of the country stretches back several years. Multiple administrations have proposed uh, ideas to introduce in the North Cascades. Those have been shut down at various points by, by public opposition, but also by the science of the species itself. Before Fish and Wildlife can decide to, to say we're going to do a 10-J population here, they have to complete a species status assessment. And in past years, um, the science on grizzly bear conservation has not supported this type of decision. It is interesting that the service now feels differently today in 2023, even though grizzly bear numbers are stronger than they were in years past and bears across the lower 48 in the other recovery zones are doing very well and are strengthening in their numbers. Uh, they still reached that different conclusion that they need this population in the North Cascades. But it's, you know, again, it's a little bit of a, a uh, push and pull issue because you want to participate and you want to show up and we certainly are, but it's also not a mystery why folks oppose this. And if anything, the reasoning behind having this experimental population here has, has weakened over the years because bears, particularly in areas like the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, are doing very, very well and sort of suggests that you don't you don't need another pocket of bears to reach the numbers overall nationwide that Fish and Wildlife wants to see. NCBA penned an op-ed this week with Congressman Dan Newhouse, chair of the Congressional Western Caucus, in opposition to the grizzly introduction. What else is NCBA doing to push back on this proposal? So we're pushing back in a couple different avenues. One, the, the sort of meatiest part of that is certainly our comments. We will be submitting substantive comments with a whole host of our partners uh, next week. And those partners include everybody from our folks on the ground who are obviously closest and most directly impacted by this issue. Folks from Washington Cattlemen's, from Oregon, from Idaho, uh, and some other states that have experience with grizzly bears like Montana and Wyoming. That also includes our national partners like the American Sheep Industry Association, Public Lands Council, uh, and the American Farm Bureau. So we've got a really broad cross-section of agricultural producers who are concerned about this, and, and we think that that lends a lot of strength to our case. 
The other thing we're going to be doing is, you know, uh, continuing the dialogue directly with Fish and Wildlife over the coming weeks and months. Obviously, once we get our comments in there, uh, we're not the only ones commenting on this. Fish and Wildlife is going to have a big pile of, of feedback from the public that they have to sort through there. Uh, but our conversation with them continues. We don't just give up and take our foot off the gas pedal once we get those comments in. We're going to continue our conversation with the agency and really push for, you know, uh, hopefully a withdrawal of the proposal. But if if not, at the very least, we'll be pushing for a lot of changes to any kind of final rule that they put out on this issue. Well, Sigrid, thanks so much for the update today. Thanks, Hunter. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.